Welcome to the I Am In podcast. We are excited to announce that this summer, 2022, we will be recording our weekly summer speaker each Wednesday night at the Boise Institute. We will hear messages from various individuals sharing their life story in front of a live audience of young adults. Each speaker will share key times that God manifest Himself and prevailed in their life. It's the reason they continue to say, I am in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am Michelle Burke, the host of the I Am In podcast and an instructor at the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. Ike Stafford grew up in Auburn, Washington. He received his bachelor's degree from the College of Idaho in Business International Political Economy. He then went to the University of Idaho and received his law degree. After six months of working as an attorney, Brother Stafford was hired as a full-time seminary teacher. Brother Stafford received his master's degree in educational leadership from Boise State University. Ike is married to Jackie, and they are the parents of nine children. The Stafford family enjoys playing basketball and playing all sports together, as well as bike riding. Ike will share several times in his life when he felt God's guidance and miracles. When I was in law school, I was watching one of my fellow classmates walk down the hall with a limp. I said, Johnny, what happened? What happened to your ankle? He was clearly in a lot of pain, and he explained, my son Jack had pushed through the screen on our first story uh, apartment and had fallen out of the first story apartment. Gratefully, he landed in some bushes and things, and there was no serious damage done, just a few bumps and scrapes. But then Johnny explained, I wanted, I want to be able to understand what my children experience so that I can perfectly empathize with them. Right? <laughs> so Johnny then, so he can understand what his son experienced, he jumps out the window, the first story, and lands and, and injures his ankle. Now, kind of extreme, right? The reason I share this story is because I think about our Savior Jesus Christ, God, who is perfect and can, through the infinite wisdom that he has, he can understand what we experience. But he willingly took upon him everything that we have experienced. My Savior knows exactly how I felt. His empathy can be perfect because he has personally experienced all the pain, suffering, fright, anxiety, everything, temptation that I, that I experienced. And I'm so grateful for the Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and I hope by the end of this experience, that you will feel closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ, and you'll understand a little deeper how much He loves you and what He has done for you personally. Doctrine and Covenant 636, you might be familiar with it. Look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. And this has been a theme in my life as I'm one of those individuals, it's high anxiety. We rarely read the next verse. And he says, after he says, look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not, I just wonder, how do we do that? How do we look unto Christ in every thought and doubt not and fear not? And maybe some of you in here are like, I never have anxiety. I never doubt. I never fear. If that's you, you can ignore this, okay? But he says, look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. So my question for many, many years has been, okay, how? How do I look unto Christ in every thought and doubt not and fear not? And then I read the next verse, and this is a few years ago I read the next verse. He says, Behold the wounds which pierced my side, and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. 
So he gives us a hint. One way to look unto him in every thought is to behold or to see or to view the wound in his side and in his, the, the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And, and so I try to do this. Now, I've never seen the Savior's hands and feet and wounds in his side, but with my mind's eye, I have. And I read a, uh, an experience from some physicians many, many years ago, and they gave their opinion about the Savior and what he might have been experiencing during his crucifixion. And, and these physicians, they had speculated that the Savior, likely the way that he uh, endured this, just from a, a practical perspective, is he likely rested on his, on his feet that were nailed to the cross until the pain became overwhelming, or however they explained that, and then he would rest, then he would relax his knees, and so that his body would rest on his hands and on his, his wrists. And then he would go back and forth between this. Now, this experience in my mind of trying to behold the Savior in the wounds in his side and his hands and, and his feet, it helps me to reduce my stress and my anxiety. I don't understand why. I don't understand how this works, but I know that it does. And maybe it's worked for you just a little bit. As I've been preparing for this experience about how to help you come into the Savior Jesus Christ and understand and want to let Him prevail in your life, I have done some preparation. Um, you may have noticed that I'm older than you by quite a bit. I am not a young adult, but I was once a young adult. In preparation for this experience, I called several of my nieces and nephews who are young adults, and they vary in, in age from uh, one of them just graduated high school and he's uh, awaiting to serve a mission. And then I have others who are in that stage of life where they're searching for their eternal companion. And I have, in fact, I have a nephew who's uh, sealed in the temple and his wife recently passed away. And so he's a rather young widow, but that's, his, that's their experience to share. But I called these nieces and nephews of mine and I interviewed them. I said, hey, I'm going to be addressing a, a large group of young adults. What counsel for me do you have? And I, I asked some specific questions such as, what is on the minds of the youth and young adults? What is on the minds of the young adults in their hearts? What kind of things are they struggling with? What kind of counsel would you give to me, being an old guy, as I try to visit with those who are in this, this age category that I'm not? And they had some themes that was remarkable. None of this will surprise you. But one of them, I'll, I'll share with you a few of these, these themes. The first one was how frequently the word uncertainty came up. With these, young, with these nieces and nephews of mine. They mentioned mental health. There it is. <laughs> dark times. Yeah, dark times. There you go. They talked about mental health and specifically how important it is to not be ashamed when we have mental health challenges and how important it is to reach out and get help. They talked about decisions and specifically the fear of messing up the plan. Like my nieces and nephews all have testimonies that the Lord has a plan for each of them, but they are fearful that they're going to make the wrong choice and ruin the plan that God has in store for them. They also mentioned this one I thought interesting and um, about the, their, their need to prove their worth. Like rather than having their worth based upon their, their eternal identity as, as a daughter or son of the most glorious being of the universe, they felt like and I can very much relate to this from my recollection of being a young adult, they very much feel like they've got to prove who they are to society. They've got to prove to, in a lot of circumstances, to would-be uh, potential spouse that they are worthy. And I, 
just briefly on that topic, President Nelson, you are likely familiar with what he told you recently in, in a worldwide broadcast where he said, first know the truth about who you are. Your prophet said, I believe that if the Lord were speaking to you directly tonight, the first thing he would make sure you understand is your true identity. My dear friends, you are literally spirit children of God. You have sung this truth since you learned the words, I am a child of God. But is that eternal truth imprinted upon your heart? Has this truth rescued you when confronted with temptation? He says, he goes on to say, I, f I fear that you may have heard this truth so often that it sounds more like a slogan than divine truth. And yet, the way you think about who you really are affects almost every decision you will ever make. A story from my own experience as a young adult. So to try to relate to you, I'm going to do a couple things. First, I'm going to rely on what I learned from my nieces and nephews. I'm also going to rely on experiences exclusively from the time period when I was a young adult. And um, can I just also say this as an aside? I was thinking about what it was like to be a young adult, and um, I was listening to the, the, the bio or the introduction to, to who I am, and it made me chuckle a little bit. You guys probably weren't paying attention, but you know, mentioned some of the accomplishments in my life. I played basketball in college and then professionally in Germany and went on to law school, practiced law briefly, and hired as a seminary teacher, you know, master's degree, got all this education. I'm married, have nine children. And some of you might be fooled into thinking, well, this guy might have it figured out, or at least he a little bit has a little bit of his life figured out. And I just, I just had to chuckle and say, no, that's not the case. Like, I, I would be interesting to write my bio of failures from my young adult years, right? And this isn't as funny to you guys as it is to me in my, my mind, but I just thinking about my failures if I were to write them all down. Like, graduated high school and no, nobody wanted me to play basketball, so I, I scrounged onto one team. And after one year, the, the coach there says, hey, uh, we don't want you anymore. You're going to have to find somewhere else. And I had a younger brother who was really good. And so by his coattails, I got onto another basketball team. And by the time I was a senior, I, I was a decent basketball player and made it to Germany. But then I almost got sent home because I wasn't making, uh, I wasn't cutting it and eventually figured it out. And, and you know, I, I changed my major several times. I, I have all these failures. And then think about my own dating experiences. And, and those are just too painful and embarrassing to even mention. But I just, <laughs> I just... <laughs> I just want you to understand that my young adult career, it was full of failure. It was like failure, 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 success, failure, failure, success, failure, failure, failure. And I think back about what I would do differently if I were to do my, my young adult years again. And one thing that is true of me as a young adult is that I lived my life and I tried to achieve things and I always took the Lord with me and I took my covenants with me. And I never severed myself from, from my covenants, and I never severed myself from the Lord. But I wonder how it would have been different had rather than saying, I'm going to live my life and achieve all these things, and I'm going to take the Lord with me, how would it have been different had I said, I am going to make the Lord my number one priority. I'm going to let Him prevail in my life, and whatever else happens in life, great. But my covenants and the Lord, they are going to define who I am and how I live my life and the decisions I make in my life. I wonder how different things might have been for me amidst all the blessings he's given me. As it relates to your worth, I was in Germany. So again, I'm going to share experiences only from my young adult years. I was in Germany. I was 28 years old. My, Jackie and I had been married about three years. 
our twins were about a year and a half old. I got very sick. And uh, I had salmonella poisoning and at the same time I had a perforation in my intestine and they had to remove part of my intestine. And they, they had to operate. That was fine. That, that all worked out fine. Um, in the nighttime, the day after, in the nighttime, middle of the night, I wake up. I'm not feeling great. I've got a roommate in the hospital who's recovering from surgery. This is probably pretty common. I don't know, at least in Germany. So he and I were both recovering from um, surgeries, and, but he was a snorer. And so I got earplugs, and I had my earplugs in and in the hospital. And in the middle of the night, I was feeling real just crummy. And so I think, well, maybe if I go to the bathroom, I'll start feeling a little bit better. So I remove one of my earplugs, keep the other one in, make my way to the bathroom. As I'm in there, and I didn't know this before, but if you've got an earplug in and it's quiet, you can hear your, your heartbeat. Boom, 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 boom. And my heart rate started to go really, really slow. And so I tugged on that little string in the bathroom and called the, the nurse in and the nurse comes in and she says, what's the emergency? And I said, I'm not feeling so good. And then I lose consciousness right there, okay? When I come to, when I come to, I'm in a wheelchair just outside the bathroom door and there are three nurses now there talking about, well, what's going on? What are we gonna do with this guy? How concerned are we? And, and I come to, I gain my bearings and, and, um, and then I can hear again my heart rate. Same thing, it starts going slower and slower. And this time I can remember that my vision went black. Like it just faded out, like it does on a movie, it went black. And I thought I was dying. I really did. And so I interrupted the nurse and I said, hey, will you please just tell my wife that I love her? And then I lost consciousness. Okay, I wake up later, I'm back in the hospital bed where I'd been sleeping before. And they explained to me when I came to, they said, hey, um, we've got a doctor on the way, they're gonna come talk to you in a little bit. So I call Jackie and I say, hey, um, things aren't going so well. Like you might want to get somebody to, for the, the babies, the twins, and come on over. So she says, okay. She didn't ask too many questions. I didn't give her any details. And then I called my brother. This is kind of fun part of the story. He, he lived in Germany at the time, about two hour car ride away. And uh, my older brother, nine years older than I, faithful priesthood holder. I called him and I said, Rick, I think I'm dying. <laughs> and his response wasn't, why do you think that? His response was, I'll be right there. And he hung up the phone. And then literally with his car on the German Autobahn, literally drove 135 miles per hour <laughs> to the hospital. <laughs> literally. Now, not illegal, okay, perfectly legal, but not very, not very safe. So this happens. And then the doctor finally arrives and the doctor says, hey, we're going to figure out what's going on. We're gonna send you downstairs and have some procedures. I don't know how hospitals typically are done, but this hospital in Germany, they, um, I had coughed up a little bit of blood and so they're, they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on with me and the doctor says, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna send you to this place first and if we can't resolve it there, we're gonna send you to another place in the hospital. And so the last thing that I can remember is being wheeled in my hospital bed to that first procedure room and I lose consciousness shortly before they start that procedure. And that's the last thing I can remember before I wake up the later, very later the next day. And so let me just fill in the gaps for you what happened. And of course, I don't have recollection of this, but they finished the first procedure and they didn't find anything wrong with me. And so they were wheeling me out of that room to a different location in the hospital where they could run do a different procedure. And at that time, my brother arrives. And if you can imagine him coming to the hospital frantic, looking for his younger brother who thinks he's dying and seeing me 
being wheeled in a hospital bed, probably looking quite lifeless. And the nurse is likely very frantic. And he says, hey, I gotta, I got, you need to stop. This is my brother. I need to give him a blessing. And I'm sure the nurse has resisted, but he was persistent. And right there in the hallway, he gave me a, a priesthood blessing. So that happens. Next procedure, they figured out that I had some internal bleeding. And with the use of glue, of all things, they, uh, they glue my insides back together. So I stop bleeding and I start to recover. Okay. <laughs> German healthcare. Yes. All right. <laughs> So, so, you know, some time passes. Um, they put me back in my hospital room. In my recollection, it was the next evening. It was like dinner time when I, when I came to and the sun was setting. And, and I'm in my hospital room and Jackie's there. My brother Rick had gone down to get dinner or something. He wasn't in the room when I came to. And after I got my bearings, you know, and Jackie kind of explained what had happened. She said, well, Rick's here too. And I said, I know. She said, how did you know Rick was here? Rick's here. And I said, because I don't actually know how I know that, but I know he gave me a blessing. And she said, how do you know that? I said, I don't know. In fact, I don't, I don't remember him opening a blessing. I don't remember him placing his hands on my head. I don't remember him closing the blessing. But I remember these words. Your time on earth is not yet over. You still have work to accomplish. Rick comes up later and fills in the gaps of, of how that all happened. For me, and talking about letting God prevail, for me, you know, what a terrific experience to learn how God's power is real and that the power of the priesthood is real. But there's a lot of other things we can learn from this, and especially as it relates to this audience. God said to me, and via priesthood blessing, your time on earth is not yet over. You still have a work to accomplish. Would God not say the exact same thing to each of you tonight? Does God not have a specific work for each of you? He absolutely does. Part of it's gathering Israel, but part of it's your specific activities and your specific way that your life is going to go, and he has a plan for you. Which brings us back to this point that my nephews and nieces made about you know, that fear of messing the plan up. And uh, I'm going to share with you a couple of experiences of trying not to mess that plan up. But can I come back briefly to this concept of letting God prevail? Another German hospital story. My, <laughs> one of my twins, she got sick. This is before I got sick. She got sick and gravely wasn't too serious, but she needed to go to the hospital and she had to get an IV. And thinking about letting God prevail just consider this if you can. And as a father, not a very fun experience. Obviously a lot worse for her than it was for me. But they had to put an IV into her arm. And she was not going to let that happen. A one-year-old, no way. And, and just her personality, she's a very, very fiery personality. And she was kicking and screaming and fighting and trying to bite and do everything she could. Right? Now, those nurses... They were going to prevail. In fact, I think it took four or five of them, holding, you know, each holding an appendage down and then one more coming in to, to use the arm or to get in there on the arm. But I think about God and, and this term, let God prevail. Like God is going to prevail. Whether we let him or not, he is God. He is going to prevail. So the question is, are we going to let him prevail? And President Nelson asked you these questions. And as you listen to these questions, would you just think about which one of these questions for you is easiest to answer. 
Which one of these can you, with conviction, say, yes, I do that? Are you willing to let God prevail in your life? Are you willing to let God be the most important influence in your life? Will you allow His words, His commandments, and His covenants to influence what you do each day? Will you allow His voice to take priority over any other? Are you willing to let whatever He needs you to do take precedence over every other ambition? Are you willing to have your will swallowed up in His? I met my wife Jackie in an introduction to music class. I didn't know how to talk to her. And some of you are very graceful in life, like you just go through and you just dominate everything you do. That's not me, okay? I'm, I'm very awkward, clumsy, and uh, I don't know what the opposite of smooth is, I guess rough. But um, she was on the volleyball team at Snow College, and we were in the music class together, an introduction to music, and she was wearing a warm-up uh, outfit to, to advertise for their home game that day, and it said Snow College Volleyball, number 11. And so I finally got courage one day to walk up to her and I said, do you play on the volleyball team? <laughs> you know, she was very kind. I can only imagine what she was thinking, but she was very kind. And that's how, that's how I introduced myself to, to my eternal companion. Um, we started dating. And just a couple of stories, just briefly. Uh, we started dating. And really, in all sincerity, I was much more excited about her than she was of me. It was Halloween and it was dark. We had gone and got some food and then we had, uh, I came up with this great idea to go to the, um, I was going to go take her to the cemetery there in Ephraim, Utah. So I drove, we went to the cemetery and she, as you can imagine, she's like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, it's going to be fun, don't worry. And so I parked right in the middle in like the darkest spot of the, of the cemetery with trees overhanging and kind of scary, and I open the door and I run and jump behind the nearest tombstone. And my plan was, my plan was to, you know, wait a moment or two and then sneak around the other side of the car and, you know, try to startle her on Halloween night. Well, about the time I get behind that tombstone and, and duck behind it, I hear my car start. <laughs> and she drives off. <laughs> now, gratefully, <laughs> gratefully, she, um, was able to, or gratefully she was very kind and she, she let me back into the car. But that just tells, tells, you, tells you a little bit about what, uh, what she's like. Well, after several, several weeks of dating Jackie, I, I decide, I think this is the one that I want to marry. And so I take it to the Lord in prayer and I probably fasted about this. I don't know that I did, but I know that it was sincere prayer and I attended the temple and I can remember where I was when I received my answer about this. And this might be instructive for you as you're making decisions. The Lord says in Doctrine and Covenants 2, 8, 2 through 3, many of you have it memorized, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. So I went to the temple and my question to God was this, should I marry Jackie? The answer is yes, or the answer is no. That's my question. Should I marry Jackie? And I can still remember where I was, and, and this was over the course of several days and, and culminated in the temple. I can remember where I was when I received my answer. I can remember what I was looking at when I was there in the temple. And the answer came like this. It wasn't words. It was, the only way I can describe it is a peaceful idea that came to my mind that I just knew was right. 
And the idea was this, if you marry Jackie, you will be happy. Now remember, my question was, should I marry Jackie? Yes or no? The Lord might operate like this with you. He might give you an answer that you're not asking, or he might give you a partial answer. I decided that I wanted to marry Jackie, so I pursued her. We, uh, <laughs> we broke up a couple times, and anyways, it's springtime now. <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> Yeah, passing on the story, moving along. It's springtime now, and Jackie and I are sitting on a, on a Friday during our lunch at the Institute building. At, they called it a Friday Forum, and they brought in a speaker for about 45 minutes who spoke to us on varying topics, and this one happened to be on missionary work. And I can remember that, that day and sitting next to Jackie and being in love and recognizing she probably wasn't quite there yet. You know, she had, um, I was very careful. I didn't share with her my experience in the temple yet. And uh, I recognized she wasn't quite ready to commit to me. And she had mentioned marriage, so we were there. But, you know, I was very careful not to push too much on that topic. And, but she had talked about it and talked about how would this work. And so we're there. And um, we're sitting in this Friday Forum experience together. And I'm sitting right next to her. And she, um, I look over in the middle of this meeting, and she's got tears in her eyes. And I think, oh, she's feeling the spirit. Something good's here, right? And so I lean over and I say, what's going on? And I whisper to her. A moment or two later, she leans back and she says, I think I'm supposed to serve a mission. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Could not have timed that better. (laughs) Could not have timed that better. So she, now you guys, this is where I'm getting back to the the idea of letting God prevail. Right? I I have, in that moment, I can respond in a couple ways. Of course, I understand the consequences of this. Like, in addition to the heartache of her saying, yeah, I don't want to marry you, I want to go on a mission. In addition to that, right, I've got... I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience. I hope you don't, but I had this experience as a young adult where I felt like every time I talked to, especially like relatives or like my friend's parents and they'd ask me about life, I felt like I inevitably had like two or three failures that I had to report to them, right? They're like, how's this going? You know, how's that going with basketball? Oh yeah, the coach, he actually let me go, you know? Or how, how, how's things with Jackie? Oh, actually she's going on mission. Like, I, right, you know? And I don't, hopefully you guys haven't had this experience, but you know, you can see their countenance fall, right? And they're like, oh, you're a loser, right? And, <laughs> and, and they're not really thinking that, but you know, you're feeling that, right? And, and I had a lot of these experiences, right? So never mind the heartache, but I have all that on top of that. How am I going to explain this to my family who just loves Jackie? And in that moment, in really, I, I'm going to pat myself on the back for a moment, but I really, in one of the most brilliant moments of my life, I leaned back and I said, I think that's right. And it was hard for me to say that, but I said, I think that's right. And I supported her. Now, you guys, God is going to prevail. He is, right? Jackie was going to go on a mission, whether I said, "Uh, no, you're actually going to marry me. Like, whatever, however that, (laughs) right? No matter how hard I fought, like, God was going to prevail. And this is one instance where I let it happen. 
And she went on her mission. We made no promises. We had no idea where things would end up when she returned, whether I'd still be, whether we'd be interested in each other when she got back or whether I'd be married. We had, we had no idea. But I supported her and I sent her on a mission. Um, just to conclude that story, um, she goes on a mission. She comes back. Uh, we eventually decide that we want to get married. And um, then I tell her the story about the temple, right? I said, yeah, I've known for a long time. Uh, you know, about three years now, I've known. I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you finally caught up. Um, and, I, and, I, and I teased her. I was like, you know, we're going to have twins, right? And, and she said, why do you say that? And I said, well, rather than marry me, you decided to go on a mission for 18 months. So that delayed our marriage 18 months. That's 18 months less baby-bearing years. <laughs> so we're going so to have twins. We've got to make up for it. And, you know, just, just, uh, just in teasing her. But sure enough, first pregnancy, twins. So... <laughs> Yeah. Hey, let God prevail, everybody, okay? Let him prevail, and, and he does. So while she's on her, if I could just share one more experience with you. While she was on her mission, um, now I, I had really a collegiate basketball, I would just call it rocky, uh, career. I had to transfer between my junior and, or my sophomore junior season. I was at a junior college, had to go to a four-year institution, and in, and in summary, I had three um, colleges that wanted to pay for my schooling. And what's important for this, this story is that two of those colleges were NCAA institutions, meaning the governing body of everything for them was the NCAA. One of them was an NAIA school. And so I went on my recruiting trips to those three schools. And at the end of this, so two of them were in Colorado and one of them was in Idaho, the College of Idaho. And at, um, at the conclusion of my, my recruiting visits there, like, there was one school in Colorado that was my favorite. In fact, the, uh, the coach of the basketball team, college basketball team, if you can believe this, was the YSA Bishop. I mean, just everything was great. I loved the team, loved the, the academics, loved everything about it. And then the next one in college, the next one that was an NCAA institution, that was kind of my second choice. And then way down on the list was College of Idaho for various reasons. So after all, the, through this process, I call my dad and I say, Dad, I gotta make a choice. And he says, well, he said, well, Write up, get three columns and write down the pros and cons of all three and then pray and make a decision. And I did that. And you guys, as I, after I did that, it was clear to me. Although on paper, it was like one, two, really high on the list was the one college, NCAA. Just below it was the other college, NCAA. And then way low on the list was College of Idaho. I can't explain it other than to say I knew that the College of Idaho, after praying, was the best thing for me. So I made that choice. And it wasn't really hard for me, but I made that choice. Fast forward a few months. Um, due to my own <laughs> school starting, due to my own irresponsibleness and of one of my teammates being irresponsible, our housing situation fell through and I didn't have anywhere to stay. And so one of my teammates who I barely knew, his name's Dan, he said, hey, you can stay on the couch at my frat house. Awesome. So I'm sleeping on the couch there, school or classes start. Once you start class, you can't transfer to another institution. Second day of class, I get a call from the athletic director. He says, we got something serious to talk about, come visit me. I come in, he's there, my basketball coach is there, the assistant coach is there, and the athletic director says, we made a terrible mistake in our athletic department and the registrar, and because of some of the credits you took prior to your mission, you will not be eligible to play basketball as a senior. Not the best, but we're going to make, a best, we're going to make a, the best of this situation as we can. 
The good news is you are eligible to play at any NCAA institution. And I said no to two of them. And they said, we're going to work that out. So we're going to make the best of this. You're going to play here for a year, and then we're going to find somewhere else for you to play next year. Right? You guys can imagine how I'm feeling about this. And so I go back. <laughs> I couldn't go back to the frat house, right, to cry to Heavenly Father. I go, <laughs> I go, to, my, um, I go to the baseball field or the baseball stadium, and I parked my car there, and I can still remember this experience. And I wasn't upset at Heavenly Father. I didn't say, Heavenly Father, you led me astray. I said, Heavenly Father, I made a mistake. I misinterpreted inspiration from you. To go back to what my nieces and nephews, the concern they expressed, I messed up the plan you had for me. And if I'm going to be perfectly honest, it was because I felt unworthy. And I thought I was unworthy, and so I could not receive personal revelation, and so I messed this up. Well, God is good, and He's gracious. A short time later, I came across, across some verses about Oliver Cowdery, two or three weeks into translating, well, being the scribe for Joseph as Joseph is translating the golden plates. And Oliver hasn't seen the gold plates He's, he's divided from Joseph by at least a sheet, and he never gets to see the gold plates, and Joseph is dictating. And Joseph, or excuse me, and Oliver is thinking to himself, uh, I'm doubting this now. Oliver had an experience several weeks earlier where, earlier where he asked God, is this thy work, God? If it is, I'm going to help. And God gives him a powerful spiritual manifestation. Oliver walks 100 miles and shows up and says, Joseph, I'm here to help. I know that this comes from God. And Joseph says, I've been praying for you. I don't know who you are, but I've been praying for you. The next day they start on translation. Two or three weeks in, Oliver is doubting it, doubting the inspiration he received and doubting that this is God's work. Joseph doesn't know any of this part of the story, but Joseph receives a revelation. God says to Oliver, verily, verily, I say unto you, if you desire a further witness, cast your mind upon the night that you cried unto me in your heart, that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? So for me, there at the College of Idaho, that's what I did. I cast my mind back to the time when God spoke peace to my heart and my mind. And it turned out to be the right place. You guys, well, I should probably finish the story. I, for various reasons, I got to play my junior year and my senior season. I got to play the entire senior season, but I didn't get to play in the playoffs. Really, really strange how that all worked out, but God took care of me, and obviously I got to play professionally in, in Germany. But you guys, you're going to have experiences like this in your life, and some of you are thinking, I'm having this right now, where you know something from God, whether it be the truthfulness of the gospel or you, or you know which college you're supposed to go to or who you're supposed to date or marry or whatever, you're going to have these experiences where you're later going to doubt it. God says, cast your mind back to the night when I spoke peace to your soul, to your heart. Letting God prevail. If I have one bit of advice, I already touched on this. When I was a young adult, I lived my life. I made plans. I sought to achieve things, and I took God with me. I took my covenants with me. But I invite you to do it different, to put God first in all things. Whatever your plans are, say, God is going to lead me. My covenants are going to be the most important thing. 
First thing in the morning is God. The last thing at night before I go to bed is God. Think about Him and His will. His power is real. Your prophet has asked you to seek and expect miracles. God will work miracles in your life as you seek to let Him prevail. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.